Hello and welcome to the SRF podcast. I'm Ollie and I'm Ben. If you're watching on YouTube, please remember to like the video, subscribe to the channel, and let us know in the comments what guest you'd like to see on the podcast next. Or if you're listening to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please leave us a five star review. It really does help us out. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the SRF podcast. My name's Ollie. Ben's our co-host. How are you, mate? Yeah, good, mate. You? Not too bad. Really excited today. We've got a um, guest on, Gavin Muse. Gavin, how are you? Really good, gents. Lovely to see you both. Thanks for inviting me on. Pleasure, pleasure. We're uh, looking forward to uh, digging into your uh, into your career. So let's uh, let's get started. Tell us a little bit about you. Well, uh, great to be invited on, as I say, and uh, talk about the best thing in the world, which is football and refereeing. So I started refereeing a long time ago now. In 1985, I did my first game. I uh, did the course in 84 when I was 14. Started in the youth leagues in Bedfordshire, 1985, and was doing it really as an extension of being involved in football. I was still a player. I still played. Uh, I watched Luton Town in those days. They were in the top division, so it was well worth watching. And it was better than having a job at a supermarket pushing trolleys around. I used to get paid £4 a match fee, and that £4 used to last me all week. It was absolutely incredible how long four quid lasts. Now you can't even get a coffee, right, for four quid. But in those days, it was all my snacks, all my food, all my treats, four quid, just for running around doing a football match. But I loved it. Yeah, really, really good. Enjoyed it and was youth class referee. When I started doing adult football at the age of 18, I actually really didn't like it. I found it scary. I found it intimidating. I found it frightening. And there's many times when I felt bullied and really, really, really upset after the game. And in those days, we're talking the late 1980s, there wasn't the well-being and welfare wellness that we have and perhaps take for granted now with the FA and the county FAs. In those days, you were on your own. And I remember more than once being chased back to my car on a Sunday morning by very angry players. And if I'm, I'm 18 years old and I'm telling a man in his 30s, I'm booking him. He's, he's not going to have it, is he? Um, even though it was a bad tackle. Uh, anyway, so I actually wobbled at the age of 21 and I stopped. I packed up. I did wobble. Um, I thought, I'm not doing this. I'm 21. I thought I ruled the world. I thought I knew better than everybody else. And so I made the big mistake of stopping. It was a ridiculously stupid thing to do now in hindsight, what I wanted to do at the time. And I went back to being um, a very passionate Luton Town supporter watching them. Uh, I got married in that early 90s era, in my early 20s, changed jobs, sort of built a career and then got to 25 and was reflecting upon what I'd liked. And just, just, it came to me, why don't you go back to being a referee again? Why don't you do that? You've still got your qualification. You still love football. Why don't you do it? By that time, I was living down in Wiltshire in Salisbury. I'd moved down there for a couple of years. So I got in touch with the Wilts County FA and they said, yeah, come along. Yeah, they were short for referees. They always always were. People always are. And I just got straight back into it straight away. It just felt like I'd never missed it. Um, this was the 95 time, 1995, straight into class three, as it was then. Class three classification with the Wilts FA quickly went through three, two, one. So I must have known what I was doing a little bit, by which time I'd moved back to Bedfordshire. And then by 19... Um, 1999, I was then 
Um, a class one referee, refereeing senior football, Spartan South Midlands, lining on the Southern League. Dennis Strudwick was the referee's secretary. Some people might have heard of Dennis Strudwick, the legend that was. And everyone was scared of him, really. He, he used to ring you up and you'd think, oh my gosh, where am I going? You didn't even ask a question. Just, yeah, I've got my kit in the car. Where am I going, Dennis? And he'd send you off to all sorts of romantic places like Bath and Trowbridge and Chippenham and all sorts of lovely places. And it took off. It just it just got really serious really quickly. I uh, when the uh, FA restructured everything and we became level threes. The old class ones became level threes, and the FA took over the appointments to the leagues, the contributory leagues, and the panel leagues, etc. Living where I do, then all of a sudden I wasn't a, a Southern League referee anymore. I was a level three, so I did Isthmian League, I did Southern League, the occasional trip to East Anglia for the Eastern Counties League. And I just progressed. I found myself enjoying it a lot, but I got a bit stuck at level three. And I actually did level three for 10 years, 10 seasons. I genuinely got stuck there. I was either really good with assessors and at the same time, really terrible with clubs, or I was the flip. I was really good with clubs. I was pleasing everybody. It was absolutely marvellous, but assessors hated what I was doing because I was being too nice and friendly and smiley. So I couldn't quite marry up both to get equality on my marks. So I never as a referee got pushed at that point. But lining, I was okay. I was on the, the conference, as it was called then, the National League as it is now, for seven seasons. Got nice playoff games, cup finals. You, you can imagine the the prestige that comes with doing those. In those days, Satanta Sports. Anybody remember Satanta Sports? Those of you that this is 20 years ago. This was the TV coverage at the time. We were live on the telly, so it was Woking against Aldershot, live on the telly, level five football in the UK, live on the telly. And I remember I remember one, that Woking-Aldershot game. We had a police helicopter above because the two sets of fans don't like each other. There was police. It was a lunchtime kickoff on a Sunday. It was, ah, oh, felt amazing. Just absolutely brilliant to be involved. Seven years on the conference, got to the Football League at 2008, got invited to the national list. And the day I opened the letter, you got a letter in those days, not an email. The day I opened the letter, it was just brilliant. It was just absolutely brilliant to read that invite. Of course, it was pass your fitness test, blah, blah, blah. Sorry, Ben. Um, <laughs> get, get through the criteria. So, sorry about that. Just run around the track. Um, but then I was on the list and it was just unbelievable to be invited on and to then go to the places that you'd only ever seen on the television to meet people in those circles that you'd only ever really seen on television. And me being a football fan as well as a, a referee, you, you, you know stuff. And to go to places, my first game was Brighton and Hove Albion against Bristol Rovers. And there was a chap playing for Bristol Rovers who did all right, I think. I think his name was Ricky Lambert, someone like that. Did he go on to play for England or something? Anyway, people of that ilk, right. And Brighton Hove Albion, it was at the, uh, the um, they had the Withdean Stadium then. It wasn't where they are now at the Amex. And 
just like many other people will tell you, I turned up four hours early. I was that keen to get there four hours. <laughs> had to find a garage to go and sit in or a service station somewhere just to kill the time. And hot sunny day, August, put your kit on. Brilliant. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Then the first decision, the first time I put my flag up, terrible. Flag for oh. an offside. Absolutely shocking. I thought it was offside, but the referee didn't, and so he overruled me. Confidence, boom, shattered. Gone. Felt crushed. Didn't want anything to happen. I just wanted the final whistle there and then. We'd only been playing 20 minutes. <laughs> I just wanted to go home. <laughs> but it was the first of many. And then the next game, fourth official at Millwall, which is always a, a great ground to go to. The people at Millwall are fabulous. They're very hospitable. The warm reception that you get there is tremendous. Fourth official, you can take it in. I've been in the away end at Millwall, but to actually walk down the tunnel, walk on the pitch, it's privilege, privileged position. The security open the doors for you as you wheel your bag in. They ask if you want a drink. And it's, it felt like the the golden ticket to be able to go to those grounds, have a reserved parking space, walk in the players and the officials' entrance and be allowed on the pitch and no policeman chasing you off. And <laughs> it sounds like you've had well, yeah, as I was a kid in the eighties, right? It was a, it was a high tempo decade. Um, no admitting of anything, um, and I just had a great, great time. Just first season, find your feet. Second season, make a bit of progress. Third season, go a bit further, and then I really had my peak uh, around about two thousand eleven to two thousand and fifteen as an assistant referee on the football league, and it it was a great time to have the peak. It was when BBC coverage was really high intensity. You had the Football League show on a Saturday night. Manish was the presenter, or BBC One had Steve Claridge and various other guests. So the games were shown regularly, um, high coverage levels. But also the Football League then were experimenting with what is now SG2, Select Group 2. They had an idea to have dedicated assistants who just did the assistant referee role. So the first three seasons I was refereeing as well as assisting so I could be 30,000 crowd on a Saturday refereeing having a great time and then Tuesday night you're in front of 150 people at a local contrib game and it just <laughs> I couldn't head space couldn't quite do it um, and I was really lucky to be invited on to the trial experiment for the nationalist select group of assistant referees so I quickly binned refereeing, age 42, just put it in the bin, forgot all about it. Yeah, forget all that. I'd rather be a, an assistant full-time on the Football League. And I just did it for nine years, had 250 games, uh, lots and lots of memories. And during lockdown, when we had not a lot else to do, I wrote a book about it, which is perhaps why you even know I exist, gentlemen. Um, and sure it, was, it, was, it, was, it, it was great. On the telly, uh, meeting people, shaking hands, rubbing shoulders, but you aren't a tourist. You're there to do a job. Yeah. You don't collect autographs. You're not there to be nice to people. You're there to do a job and they expect you to perform to high standards. And it was a privileged position. Looking back on it, I came off the list in 2017 at the right time for me, 47. That was the right time. There were kids half my age getting on the list and I just was finding it hard to keep up with them <laughs> around the track. And I look back on it now as one of the best things I ever, ever did. It was really special. Really, really special. Effort at the time, but memories forever now. Brilliant. Sounds like you've had quite a journey since uh, 
14 and uh, yeah. <laughs> qualifying for your first game? Well, if I could go back and talk to my 14-year-old self, I'd say don't quit at 21 because then I could have got there a bit quicker, maybe. Who knows? Um, but also enjoy it. When you're, when you're doing it, you're, you're doing it. And I think in, in my last season, I knew it was my last season from the Christmas onwards. I'd, I'd handed in my notice to the league at Christmas. So I had four months. And I really enjoyed that last four months. It was bizarre how much enjoyment you could get, but also taking it seriously. So your performances were worthy. Um, I was just embracing being at the place for perhaps the last time with people, perhaps the last time. So really, my only message would be enjoy it more because it, it is over quickly. It does go by very, very fast. And I still officiate now local level and people talk to me and say nice things and ask stories about this game and that game and whatever, whatever. But it was it's it's something that money can't buy. You can't fast track it. You've got to do the hard yards and make the mistakes and get things wrong in order to learn how to get things right the next time round. But, oh, my goodness, any young kid boy or girl the opportunities are there seriously it's a massively brilliant thing to do and I would encourage anybody with a modicum of talent attitude and ability if I can do it they can do it seriously because I had a bad knee and a bad attitude sometimes and I got as far as I got so the potential is there for anybody to do it and it really is a a golden thing we don't have enough coverage of just how great it can be the there was something really poignant that, that you mentioned that I maybe like to dig into a bit more is like okay stopped at twenty one I'd say that's quite common for us for some of the younger referees today to jump on at fourteen and then the distractions that we have in this world today are are hmm. huge what what was it that kicked you back into going actually at twenty five I want to do more of it was it your your passion for the game. Yeah, a number a number of things. That's a great question. A combat a number of things. Um, passion for the game. That's that's something I've always had and always will have. That's just the love of the game, first of all. But also my life circumstances. When you get to twenty five, you're not twenty one anymore. Your body is starting to get a little bit different. I couldn't run as fast. I couldn't. I wasn't getting any younger. And by that stage, I was in a different place psychologically. At twenty one, I was living with my parents still. I was smoking, drinking and watching Luton on a full-time basis. By 25, I'd stopped smoking, stopped drinking and was married. So different headspace, basically, and had a job. And my wife at the time um, just said, well, why don't you do what you like doing? And I thought, oh, yeah, that sounds so obvious. Why don't you do what I like doing? But I was living in Salisbury, so watching Luton wasn't possible. I wasn't interested in supporting anybody else. And so I just went back to refereeing. It was it was almost like I fell back into it, but it welcomed me with open arms. And all of a sudden I felt at home again and comfortable and happy and needed and wanted and safe and secure. And all of the lovely stuff at the bottom of Maslow's hierarchy of needs about safety and security, just that, that space. And I, the moment I walked out on the pitch, Laverstock in Salisbury, if everybody knows Salisbury, there's a place called Laverstock, just one of the districts. The moment I walked out of the pitch and I knew I was going to get 90 minutes because I was the ref. I wasn't fiddling about as a rubbish player being yanked off at half time by a coach I didn't like or anything. <laughs> I just felt like I was in the right place. And so just that feeling internally, that intrinsic feeling made me realise that was the right thing to do. And then I just moved onwards and onwards and onwards and never looked back. So it was a combination of events, 
different frame of mind from 21 to 25 and encouragement from the nearest and dearest. It, it made all the difference. Do you think that within those four years as well, that you may have learned some more life skills, more because the skills of refereeing, ability to communicate, manage players, manage different tempos, things like that. Do you, do you think you probably enhanced those skills over the four years when you started relationships, work, different jobs, etc.? Do you think that yeah. helped when you came back at 25, that you, that you had a different style or a different skill set to apply to the game? I don't just think it, I know it. Absolutely is, that's the case. Add to that, at 21, I had a big ego and a big um, personality and I thought I was king of the world at 21, as you do. 25, I was a bit more humble. I was a bit more mature and a bit wiser. And so all of those things then come into play. And so when you've got a big, high-intensity game, you're able to deal with it a bit better. At 21, if somebody didn't do what I wanted them to do at the instant that I wanted them to do it, I reacted badly. So I know that my emotional intelligence was nothing at 21, <laughs> was much better at 25, and it was even better. The older I got, the better I got, but my legs mm. didn't, my brain did. <laughs> sure. I was able to anticipate what was going to happen, and I'd seen a bit of it before, and I was able to, I was able to not see stuff I didn't need to see, if, if that makes sense. If we fast forward a little bit, I love that you talked about you used to get a telephone call for for your appointments. Is that how they all came through? <laughs> uh, well, used to used to get a number of different ways of communicating. We live in a technological world these days. Um, you used to get depends on the league and the competition. I do remember the one I remember most was the football combination, which was the reserve teams for the football leagues. So when you made the National League of the Conference, as it was then, you also ran the league at the reserve teams, Barnet, Orient. The, the Football League reserve teams, whoever they were. And you used to get a pamphlet come in the post the last week of every month. And that pamphlet contained the fixtures and the appointments for the next month. Amazing. And you used to open the pamphlet and I used to go with a, with a highlighter and highlight my name. Your game. <laughs> on all 18 pages or whatever it was. And then if you, if you had a problem, you had to ring up and say, I can't do Barnet against Chesterfield on Tuesday afternoon at two o'clock because whatever the reason was. And that, that was one way of communicating phone calls um, and talk about closed dates. We now all use MOAS, right? And the various ways in your ways, MOAS, you ping your dates on it. It's all done electronically. When I was first on the Southern league, you used to have to write a card postcard. I used to have to write a card to Dennis Strudwick to say, dear Dennis, this is Gavin. Here's the dates I'm available in, September and list them. Here's the dates I'm not available and list them. I used to take that card to work, photocopy it, genuinely photocopy it, along with the other ones I was sending, so that I sent them in the post, first class stamp, and I kept a copy of them. So if ever there was a question, Gavin, can you do a game on the 17th? I'd go, no, 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 I closed it. Would you like me to show you a copy of the card I sent you? Wow. Yeah, I used to wow. do that. Now, I, I don't know if anybody else did. It never was necessary. It never was necessary. But me being me, dates, I never wanted to be double booked. So, yeah, yeah. post yeah. the Royal Mail was in business then. It's it's not quite as needed now, I suppose, with, with football correspondence. No, it's evolving. For sure, for, for sure it's definitely evolving. Um, yeah. so. I remember those days, the postcard days. Yeah, oh, over 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah. So you've obviously um, been fortunate enough to operate on the Football League. 
yeah. um, for for a long period of time at the professional yeah. level of the game. Yeah. You must have a highlight and you must have a story about your interactions with maybe a couple of the managers or a couple of the players. Oh, absolutely. And I'm, I'm very able to recall them. I've had the joy of writing about them and creating a, a book about them. So one that I do frequently tell is a lovely little thing. And I'm going to praise him here. Neil Warnock. We've heard of Neil Warnock. Yeah. And I had the pleasure of running the line on games where he was a manager and I was bench side. And he was very good, actually, because he gave you lots of advice. It was really helpful. He'd tell you what a foul was. He'd tell you what offside was. He'd tell you when he needed to give it to his team. He would tell you when you weren't looking. He was telling you what your parents were doing. Really great with his advice. But there was, one, there was one time I was fourth official. He was manager for a short period of time. He was manager at Crystal Palace. He had a spell at QPR and Palace and in, in London around 29-2010. First game of the season. I was fourth official. Crystal Palace gets Plymouth. And I mind my own business, keeping out of the way, blah, blah, blah. He starts yelling at the nearside assistant at Selhurst Park. So it's a nice place, big crowd, first day, yelling. And I thought, oh, I've got to do something here. What? What? Oh, oh really? Walked up. What's the problem? Am I just nice? What's the problem? And he was like, that's a foul throw. And I went, well, what did he do? And he showed me with his feet what the offending player had done. And he showed me with his foot that part of his foot was on the line when taking the throw and part of his foot was over the line. And I looked at him and said, but Neil, that's allowed. And he went, oh, I went, yeah, it's just like a no ball in cricket. As long as you've got part of your foot on the line when you're taking a throw, that's fine. He genuinely thought that if any part of your foot was over the line, i.e. on the pitch, it was a foul throw. <laughs> and to his absolute credit, he just smiled at me and said, I never knew that. <laughs> and I went, okay, great. Happy to help. And walked back. And that was just so nice to have that moment. You don't see that on the television. That never makes the papers. What makes the papers is Warnock rants at official and calls him this and calls him that. But he was really nice on occasions. And the people that get this bad rap in the press, they also have a nice side as well, a humane side. And he showed it to me that day. And I'm a nobody compared to him. He's the manager of Crystal Palace. He's got million pound players, Premier League set up, blah, 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 blah. I'm just, who am I? Fourth official. And they don't even know your name. They just call you fourth. It's like being royalty, Gavin the fourth. That's what I was. <laughs> or Bill the fourth, royalty, royal family. They don't even know your name. You know now when you're at a game, they don't know who you are. They just call you Lino or Ref. They're bothered to know your name. So Neil Warnock was a, was a great one. And a ref lined when he was at West Ham, lined when he was at QPR. So you run into the same people more than once. And another great one, absolutely fabulous, really, really nice, was Sam Allardyce. Again, he was in, in and around the London scene, championship clubs. And it was always nice, pleasant, dignified, and so immaculately dressed. Even the labels on his shirts had SA on. He was he was that impressive. We were all in. I was in a Tesco shirt or Sainsbury's or whatever, <laughs> six quid, and his shirts were probably more than my suit. And it was just ah, uh, brilliant to be in that company. So yeah, you you meet people, you do you meet people. But do you know? And here's here's one other thing. Sometimes have you ever heard the phrase "Don't meet your heroes"? Mm. 
because yeah. they're never as you want them to be. Yeah. yeah. And there, there were a couple that were a disappointment. I won't mention those. But one who was even nicer on the occasion I met him and had dealings with him than his TV profile. And that's Ray Wilkins. Now, Ray Wilkins, bless him, has passed away a few years ago. Now, people of my generation will know he was a immaculate player for Chelsea, Man United, Rangers keeper. He was at Millwall. It was a reserve game, tempers flared, hot day. Anyway, he came in the dressing room after the match and asked us, I was the assistant on this game, he asked the referee, why didn't you send off our number seven? What? Now, normally it's, why did you send off our number seven? On this one, it's, why didn't you send off our number seven? And the referee fluffed his answer a bit and was trying to give an explanation but Ray's response was, if you don't administer the laws of the game properly, how am I ever going to educate the players? If I don't let them know that if they do X, Y, Z, there's a sanction and the referees will punish them because they'll just turn around to me tomorrow and go, yeah, but the ref let me off. I thought that's so brilliant, hmm. utterly brilliant on, on, on two levels. Player education, one, but also expectations of match officials. Turn up, don't be the nice guy. Turn up and do what's what the clubs expect. And in the professional game, they're expecting certain standards. And that's stuck with me ever since. That's 20 years ago as well. I've just he was so nice, shaking our hands, asking if we wanted anything, come and get some food, come and get some drinks. You know, all the just and it's Ray Wilkins. It's Ray Wilkins, for goodness sake. It'd be like, I don't know, Manuel Arteta now doing it to you. It's just utterly boggling that then I was going to get in my car and drive back home to Luton and <laughs> carry on with life. <laughs> yeah. we, um, obviously, you had a fantastic career as an hour, as we've already talked about. What um, advice? There be Hopefully, some of our listeners will be going, I, I want to be an assistant referee. I want to make the Football League. I want to go higher, Championship, Premier League. Um, some advice for them, like personal commitments? What, what, what have you got for them? Yeah, the, the, the advice is a great thing to to be able to give now in my older years and I'm very happy to give it whenever I possibly can. The first thing is you've got to want it. Attitude and ability is is the ability to run around and make decisions and find. But the the attitude comes from within. It's interesting. You've either got that or you haven't. Um, your knowledge and your skills you could acquire and learn and develop and the FA are great with helping that. But attitude comes from you. And that will evolve and adapt over time. But you've really got to want to do it because football at professional level I didn't have a job when I was working on the football league as an assistant I didn't have time for a job working full-time I did freelance work and I still do so attitude is everything but also you've got to be prepared I'm afraid this is not the the glory bit of the brochure you've got to be prepared to make some sacrifices and that means diet eating the right food not having bad habits, that means no smoking, really, no drinking, really, go to bed early, get your right exercise, do the right amount of exercise at the right time. It's not just about going for a 10k run. It's about doing high interval training. It's about doing speed training. It's about doing flexibility. It's about getting to the gym and maybe having a massage every now and again. Being prepared to do all of that, all of the bit where you look after your body, so your body can do what your mind wants it to do. Keeping up to date with the directives from above we have the directives now about tolerance of delaying techniques for kicking the ball away technically so being up to date with your knowledge you've got to be up to date with your knowledge absolutely important it, it, it's putting it all together but all but fundamentally it's 
looking at yourself in the mirror and go, I want to do that. That that's that's my calling. That's what I want to do. And then the steps that you then take to get there, the discipline that you need, the sacrifices that you have to make become easier because your mindset tells you that you want to do it and it's not being forced upon you. But the rewards now, not just the, the, the pleasure of the of the role, but the rewards, there's financial rewards. There's it can be a career. It absolutely mm. can be. And then you get if you get to the right levels you've that's your future you can have your foreign travel you can have just anything you like it it's amazing how much it's developed in such a short space of time and i think it'll even as the years pass by it will get even more of a lucrative attractive option so it'll mean the top talent will shine through i think yeah i agree yeah no thanks for that i think that's fantastic and probably a couple of things i need need to get done as well Pressure's on, Ben. Yeah. So, as referees, we can um, be quite meticulous about our preparation for games, some more st- superstitious than others. Did, did you ever have a ritual or, or, or something superstitious before you and did any games? And did it change, yeah. let's say, at the semi-pro level versus when you went to the Football League? Or was it the same? Uh, the same it, it expanded more than changed the, the the i packed always packed my bag the night before always so friday night for a saturday always the night before always had my boots clean the bag was packed ready to go um when i mean expanded so on a semi-pro game on a contrary game and you're free you could get to the ground at half past one that's that's absolutely fine but then on a football league game you were expected to be the ground 12 30 wherever that was. Now, in essence, then that meant 12 o'clock. That's when you'd get there. You, you wanted to be there for 12. Now, that meant I used to get up on a Saturday morning. And I would leave home at 9 a.m. So it was a full day, wherever I was going. And if I was going to, say, Portsmouth, I'd leave at 9 a.m. I'd get to Portsmouth for 11. And then I'd sit and read the paper. I'd just have an hour in the car, five minutes from the stadium. You could see the floodlights, Pompey, lovely, easy to spot. I I would just would insist that my bag would be packed the night before. I'd leave in plenty of time so as to never be late. I'd arrive at 12 because I wanted to be the first or second or third one. That I never wanted to be the last match official to arrive because then you are already in your mind playing catch up a little bit. And I always used to put my left boot on first. Why? That never brought me any special luck. Put left boot on first. And I always liked being um, the one that checked. I don't know why. This is just a thing the away dressing room rather than the home dressing room. So the jewellery check, the boots, the jewellery, everything. I just like being the away because I thought I travel, they've travelled. There was a bit of a connection there, um, which which was, which was fine. So in terms of superstition, no. Um, I didn't put my shirt on like Paul Ince just as you're walking down the tunnel. No, I didn't do that. I didn't put my shorts on last. Just left boot on first. But I'd, I'd have the routine of leaving home at nine, get there for 12, start getting changed at, uh, court bus two after the debrief with the match official, with, uh, the liaison officer from the club. They'd normally come in and brief on security for the match, etc. Warm up, warm ups are always the same. Dependent on the referee was how many laps of the pitch you did before you actually did the shuttles. Sometimes you'd only do one, thankfully. Sometimes <laughs> you'd have to. Sometimes you'd have to do five. And then I always, my, for, do you know, it's bizarre. When we had to do five, right? My lace used to come undone. I don't know why. Just used to come undone usually around lap two, and I'd have to stop and do it up. Just don't know why that happened. It's just one of those things. Um, and then get home, and I'd always go to the gym the next morning to do a warm down session. So I had routines for the week as well as match day. 
but no superstitions. No, I, I sort of had a, a faith in my ability and confidence that I was going to do my very best. And I was ready to do my very best. I had good days and I had bad days, but it wasn't for the lack of trying. Sure. So just moving on to, like, as we move in through the football league and stuff, observations and assessors were a thing. Obviously yeah. You did that to, to get to the football yeah. league. How, nowadays, I think every game's got is televised or it's gone to some there's uh observation panels and things like that um what what was your experiences of, of how that operated was it every game back then yeah football league you, you had a assess at every game yes absolutely and they would be with you before the match they'd chat with you over tea coffee in the lounge area and you you'd know them you'd know who they were as I got more into my career, actually, it became slightly a bit more blurred because sometimes the people who, when I first got onto the list, were referees, then became assessors as I was still on the list. So you'd actually been out with them as a colleague and then they were assessing you. That was a bit different because you didn't get any favours. Yeah. You didn't expect any favours. So the assessor was very much part of the team. They were in the dressing room. They left you when you were getting changed. They came Sometimes if it was a dramatic day, they'd come in at half time and just give you a rallying call. That would be uh, a, a bit of an indicator as to how the game was going. They'd be with you after the game and they'd give you their opinion there and then. Not like perhaps nowadays where you do it on a Zoom call or a Teams call a day or so later. You'd get it there and then. So you'd know driving home how well you'd done. You'd then get something in the, in the uh, written form a day later after they'd watched the DVD. Um, DVD. God, how old does that make me sound? Yeah. DVD. Yeah. <laughs> a club official would come in with a handful of DVDs and go, there you go, boys or girls. There you go. And sometimes you'd help yourself to one. Sometimes you wouldn't, depending on if you were. But the assessor would take it, go home, watch it, and then it would fine-tune their debrief. I found, personally, being assessed really uncomfortable. Okay. But it was an everyday event. So you, you did develop a tolerance of it but I never liked um being told I'd had a bad moment or a bad game I knew myself I'm my own worst critic uh and it was then reinforcement of the negativity so I didn't especially enjoy that but it was needed because that produces the merit list that then produces the opportunity for promotion and advancement or relegation and so on and so forth I never liked being assessed I didn't like being criticized and I even hated even more being praised that sounds odd but I really didn't like them going, oh, you were brilliant. You got that offside off. Just, and I was thinking, yeah, don't put pressure on me, please, for the next <laughs> game. Oh. And there was one particular <laughs> one particular story. Reading, Majeski Stadium. Running the line, playing Middlesbrough. Free kick to Middlesbrough. Middlesbrough across the ball. And there's four or five Middlesbrough players offside. Four or five. And I'm thinking oh my God, I don't know where the defenders were when that ball was played. When the kick was taken, were they there? Did they cross? Oh, I've no idea what to do. I don't know what to do. Really, really, really don't know what to do. And I kept my flag down. Thankfully, I could have kissed him. The re the Reading goalie came out and caught it cleanly. Brilliant. So no issue then, because I don't need to do anything. Just keep the flag down. Play on. Brilliant. In the debrief, after the assessor said, Gavin, how did you get that right? How did you know? that they were all on side, because he'd seen a clip. How, and I thought, I don't know. Yeah, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. And it then felt a bit of a burden to be overly praised because sometimes you didn't know how you did it. 
when you get to do something all the time yeah experience yeah and also habit you form good habits and you can just your eye can see stuff and when i was i was a specialist assistant then i was doing it every game so you get into a unconscious competence stage type of thing and i didn't know how to if i was trying to coach somebody then i couldn't do it it's like got top goal scorers how do they score goals they can't really tell you how they do it they just do it I, I, when I was in my peak, that four years, 2011 to 2015, I didn't know how I was doing what I was doing. It felt like someone else was doing it. And that must be a good thing, I suppose. But then when I was getting too much praise, I didn't like it because I, I couldn't put the finger on why I deserved it. So it didn't add value to me. I absolutely love that a comment you just made. Uh, that unconscious competence. Unconscious competence, yes. That, the four stages of be... learning. That will be in my in my debrief on Saturday at Barnet. Yeah, unconscious competence, right? <laughs> will, is when you, is when you do something without thinking. It's like driving your car. You don't have to think about what you're doing. You just do it naturally. Unconscious competence. You can do it without thinking. I love that. That's that's how I get my next decision right. <laughs> unconscious <laughs> competence. Right, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good luck. <laughs> What's really interesting, right, is um, refereeing and the decisions that you make as a referee it's probably one of the few scenarios where the majority of your decisions will get analysed, right? Mm. And someone is there is going to tell you whether you're right or wrong. In yeah. business, we all make decisions 100 times a day, but nobody normally will sit back and reflect on, on those decisions. So it is definitely a bit different, uh, refereeing and getting observed and assessed. Like, oh, do you think there's an yeah. Is there an alternative? Because I would ask you, right, if you're sat there saying you don't like it, good or bad, but if you're saying it's needed to, to demonstrate promotion. Is there an alternative? Is there another way I the same thing could be achieved? there has to be a way of compiling performance, of measuring performance, so it becomes subjective rather than objective. It, we can't just have referees promoted because they're uh, Mike Dean's mate or Anthony Taylor's friend or Ben and Ollie's YouTube pal or whatever. It's got to be something that there's an evidence-based criteria. Now, does that mean we're, we're stuck with assessments? It's like VAR. VAR is, I have conversations with people now that they go, oh, VAR, but it's not VAR, is it? It's actually an assistant referee with a video. It's ARV, really. That's all it is. VAR, make it sounds like it's a machine doing it. It's not. It's a person. And when you've got people doing assessments, they will always have their unconscious bias. Whether they admit that or not, they will. And I vowed never to become an assessor. I don't ever want to do that job. But coaching, I think, is a is, a, is an absolute pass. But there needs to be some sort of way of compiling who is of a standard and who isn't. And whether we do that on a merit list, whether we do that with back in the back in the day, the assessor never told you they were there. When I first started out, they used to hide behind a tree and mm-hmm. and and on the public pitches and not be there. So you'd then get a surprise assessment. But that was then, in a way, a bit fairer to you because you didn't adapt your game when you knew that the assessor was there. Now, if you're assessed as a referee on some games and some you're not, you know they're there, you know they're not, you might then be a bit more picky on stuff and be a bit more pedantic on the law, whereas your, your natural style is a bit more relaxed anyway. I think we have to have some sort of merit list. I think we have to have some sort of way of judging criteria and experience. And I think it's still going to come down to people watching people and people who are people who are knowing what they're looking for. But what I'd like to see, they talk about ex-referees becoming players. Well, yeah, okay. 
Roy Keane got headbutted at Arsenal at the weekend. There's a lot of difficulties with ex-pros then refereeing in the pro game. Can you imagine, I don't know, Stephen Gerrard running running the line at Old Trafford? That might be a bit tricky. Um, <laughs> whatever. But I think ex-players, I think ex-players could be referee assessors. Mm. Okay. Because yeah, then, I, you haven't, like then you haven't got people marking their own kind. What you've got then is a player's perspective. Yes, there'd have to be parameters and guidance and training for them. Here's what we're looking for. But I think there's a real opportunity for players, ex-pro players, not to be on the couch on a Saturday afternoon in a BBC studio, but get yourself down to Twerton Park in Bristol and watch that referee and tell me what you think from your perspective there. I think there's a, an opportunity there that is under undercooked at the minute. Do you... Um, yeah, so you, you said earlier, um, I think it might have been off air actually, that... You still referee, a level five referee, do some mentoring as well, is that right? Yeah, so a level five referee, um, I run the line on the Spartan South Midlands, which is here. And what they're very, they're very astute, really, the appointment officers, they put me with people who I think they want me to coach a little bit, which is which is fine. Okay. Uh, I, have a, I have a season ticket for Luton Town. I've gone back to watching them. It's a good time to watch them at the minute. I've seen them come up the levels in the last five seasons. So when they're at home on a Saturday afternoon, it won't be that regularly this season. <laughs> Saturday afternoon, three o'clock, might not be that many. But I enjoy refereeing a kids game in the morning in the youth league and then going to Luton in the afternoon. And I do uh, work as a mentor and a coach as well. And a great example of that, back in July, two months ago, I went to Lisbon for the Iber Cup. I was delighted to be working with the Italian and the German and the Belgium and the French young referees there. In four days, I think I went to 22 games, uh, watched 22 games and did debriefs on all of them. And because you're English, they, they sort of hold you in a high regard. The Europeans, the English officials, they regard us as the, as the pinnacle, the Premier League as the absolute pinnacle. I never made the Premier League, but didn't, <laughs> I did try. Um, but they, they, they were ready to listen to anything I was uh, any wisdom I was happy to share and I was happy to coach. And they, there's so much fun and pleasure and joy to be had in helping the future because I'm the past. I've had my time. I, It was great. I loved it. Fabulous. But I'm 53 years old. I'm never going to go any higher than I am now. I'm happy being where I am. And if I can help somebody else, if I can just 1% more improve someone's game, I'm happy. I love that. And I've, I've actually refereed out at the Ibo Cup in Estoril as well. Estoril, that's time. the place. So, it's beautiful. Sunshine. Friend, oh. I still speak to now. I think it's a fantastic tournament to, to, to go and officiate at. It was um, a pleasure so to do it. It's great. And yeah, I think it's fantastic that people that have got the experience go out there and, and share their experiences and try and make people better, right? Was that the, the main inspiration behind the book? Talk to us a bit more about the book that you've written. The book, there it is. Yes, there it is. Life on the line. line. My life on the line. There's a picture of me. Yeah, that's a, you know what, that's a Sabutio base. Sabutio, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's going the, back a bit. The, 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 yeah, thank you for that. Um, <laughs> I go back a bit, that's fine. The, the, actually, do you know what? The, the, the pandemic hit, football stopped, and I found myself looking back at old football. So the germination of an idea came along um, and I, I can tell a story, I can talk. And it, I, was, I actually didn't realise just how cathartic it would be to write stuff down. Now, there's, in this book, there's 180 pages of 
of stuff. But there's so much that isn't in there because it just doesn't make the cut. Like any good TV program, it gets edited out. But the process of writing it over the year, I wrote it. And I had a super colleague, this chap here, Simon Ray, absolutely magnificent co-writer who worked with me every step of the way. I found it just a real joy to revisit the notes, revisit the videos, revisit the DVDs, revisit YouTube, look back at my old programs and just put it into a place where I was then happy to park it because I didn't then want to be it anymore. I was happy to go, yeah, right, chapter closed now, fine, I'm done with it. Because 2020, I'd only been off three years and I still thought, oh, I could have done that and I could be... Uh, you still hanker for it a little bit, even though you know... Yeah, the right thing to come off. So I had the time, I had the content, I had the motivation, and I had the inspiration from Simon to do it. The backing of a really lovely publisher, and it was just a chance for me to put it into print, tell a story, write a few quiz questions, put some outrageous ideas for the future, how we might improve the laws of the game, do a bit of digging, educate myself on a bit of history. Um, and it, it was timely as well. It was it came out last year, so I was lucky enough to go to the Women's Euros final when England won the European Championships at Wembley. Good day. That, 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 that's it. To see England win a trophy, we'd have loved to have won another one last month, but to see us win a trophy, it was amazing. The next morning, genuinely, um, I was awake at five o'clock. My head was alive, and I was thinking, it's 2022. If we're going to have a book about football, we've got to cover this. We've got to cover this. I was at the laptop. I was typing away, typing away. Phoned the publisher at nine o'clock. Did you see the telly last night? And they weren't into football. They weren't that bothered. And they went, why? What happened? I went, oh, where have you been? We've won the Euros. Da, 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 da. Quick, I've sent this there. They put it in. So it it just it it tells a story of what happened to me, but also the game as it was a year ago now. When, when we were writing it. And there's stories in there that people will remember. The good, the bad and the ugly from the 80s. People will have heard of the Bradford fire, the Hillsborough disaster, the Heysel disaster. This was all when I was a teenager. So it, it, it's mentioned as a part of the fabric of growing up in those days and the fabric of football in those days. Italia 90, the Premier League starting. There was life before the Premier League, everybody. I know it's an amazing thing, but there actually was. <laughs> We don't actually, recall that. <laughs> there actually was, yeah. Uh, the back pass law, that came in at the same time. What? The, the, there's no coincidence, Liverpool fans, please forgive me, but Liverpool won the league, what was it, 19 times at the Football League? And they've only won it once since the back pass law's come in. <laughs> you draw your own conclusions. <laughs> the, t -t triangles, right? Grobbler to Hanson to Lawrence and to Grobbler. That was the defensive triangle for Liverpool. They just used to keep it. You can draw your own conclusions there. There's absolutely fine. Mm -hmm. Luton's plastic pitch, Luton's away fans ban. It's it's all in there. But the motivation for the book was really I just wanted to sign it off, really, my career and just be happy that it's done. And that was a great way of putting a full stop on a page and said, all right, I'm happy now. Yeah, I'm happy now. Nice. And where can people get the book? It's available in a number of places. The easiest one is three clicks on Amazon. We'll, we'll get you to it. it. That's the title of it, My Life on the Line, My Name. There's It's priced at under a tenner. It's a, hopefully a, a read that anybody that's got a passing interest in football or even knows somebody with a passing interest in football will get some uh, get some snippets out of it. It's, it's not about a famous person's headline story that we know of anyway because... We saw them winning the FA Cup and the Champions League. This is the untold story of someone that tried to be anonymous. 
but sure. shows you it shows you what can happen. And if that can happen to me, then someone watching this podcast, someone who's a young referee now, I'm going to look forward to seeing them on the telly in a few years' time and having the career highlights that they want. Good for them. 100%. So, that. one question for you, Gavin. Final yeah. question. And we'd like to finish off our um, podcast by asking our guests this one question. If Ben and I were to give you a magic wand and you could do anything with refereeing, what would you want to do? Oh, well, the, the, the first thing, and this is a, I've got 25 of these in the book, right? But the first thing, the law chair, I would have, this is an easy answer for me. I'm a big fan of NFL, which is American football. That was because I spent some time in America in the 80s and played Pittsburgh Steelers. By the way, they're my team. Anyway, we need to have a stop clock, an independent timekeeper to take timekeeping away from the referee on the pitch. Stadium stop clock. Even at Luton Town now, they've got a really nice electronic scoreboard because it's Premier League days, right? They've even got this thing. Every time the ball is out of play, the clock stops. Every time the ball is in play, the clock starts again. There is... In one fell swoop, time wasting is removed. It's um, it's been a real privilege to listen to you, Gavin, and dig into oh, your. Me too, um, gents. Thank you very much. And dig into your um, your career and understanding the um, the highs and lows and what it will take to be to be an assistant referee today. You know. Well, the the job of an assistant referee is one that there's two of them on every game. So you've got double the chances of a referee had. That was one way somebody explained it to me. You got double the chances of promotion, two to one ratio of two to one. The role of an assistant referee, you're concentrating all the time. You do get moments where you can just have your head up and have a little look around. But the joy of being part of that big event that people pay to watch, that people travel to watch, to support their team, and you've contributed to that positivity in other people's lives, you can't buy that. <laughs>